Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to ModPath Chat, discussing impactful articles in the Journal of Modern Pathology. Today is actually our inaugural episode, and it gives me an immense pleasure and honor to uh, have our first guest, Dr. David Rem, a great friend and colleague who's a professor of pathology at Yale School of Medicine. Thank you, David, for accepting the invitation. Thank you, George. I would like us today in the few minutes that we have to discuss uh, your recent article that is currently online and will be uh, in print next month's issue of Modern Pathology. Uh, I'm uh, specifically talking about the article assessing PDL1 uh, evaluation in uh, breast cancer. So let's start with uh, addressing what what led you, uh, what is the objective or the main question that led you to launch uh, this multi-institutional study? So uh, thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity, George. I, I really, um, where this this came about because uh, PDL1 assessment in breast cancer is actually the is not the first time we've had to assess PDL1, and PDL1 assessment in lung cancer uh, predated breast cancer by a couple years. And when PDL1 came out uh, as a target, there were multiple assays for the same target. Uh, and multiple ways of assessing the target in terms of subcellular localization. And what we found in those lung cancer studies, including a study that I led uh, uh, funded by the NCCN and BMS, and a study that Fred Hirsch led um, called the Blueprint Study funded by the vendors, uh, found that pathologists could reliably read tumor expression of PDL1 or tumor proportion score, but could not reliably read immune cell proportion score or IC score. And the uh, concordance of the pathologist was addressed in those studies by looking at the interclass correlation coefficient and found to be between 0.1 and 0.3, which is clinically unacceptable. But then the breast cancer uh, paper came out in the Impassion 130 study, and that was presented in the New England Journal of Medicine, where they used the immune cell score, which we had just proven was inadequate in lung but now they were using it in breast cancer 
So how can the FDA approve an assay in breast cancer that has failed in lung cancer? And that conundrum was what led us to doing this study. I mean, clearly, for all of us, evaluating uh, the immune marker in IC is, is much more problematic, and, and I'm glad uh, you, you did this. So can you briefly uh, discuss uh, the design? Uh, and again, we have limitation of time, but I want you to focus on, on a new methodology uh, that you proposed, which is, I think, is called ONEST, Honest Observer Needed to Evaluate a Subjective Test. Very nice acronym. Exactly. So what we found is our, my hypothesis was that it actually would have to do with um, that the reproducibility of the pathologist, which I think is critical to everything we do as pathologists, is, is really the most important um, aspect of an assay. So if an assay is not reproducible, it's not a good assay. But here we had the FDA saying that it was reproducible and Roche showing data that suggested it was reproducible, but then in the lung cancer setting, showing data that it wasn't reproducible. So we needed to see how many pathologists could have absolute agreement or overall percent agreement amongst multiple pathologists. And in the FDA study, they found a 95 or between 90 and 95% concordance, but they only looked at one pathologist with uh, a consensus score of pathologists. So it's like having two pathologists. And with only two pathologists, you can have a pretty high degree of agreement. But what happens in the real world is there's two or 3,000 of us, or maybe as many as 18 or 20,000 of us, that are all going to be reading these slides. So how well do we really agree? And so for that, I thought, well, let's plot the overall percent agreement against the number of pathologists that have that percentage of agreement. And that's what we did in, in some test studies with a biostatistician that I work with named Gang Han. And we plotted that and found that, wow, the more pathologists we have, the less well we agree. But it actually doesn't just keep going down the more pathologists you have. What happens eventually is it plateaus. And it, the, where it plateaus, the number of pathologists at which it plateaus, and then it just stays pretty much steady along that plateau. And where that plateaus, I would predict that's the behavior of that assay in the real world. For example, tumor proportion score that we have in lung cancer has a plateau at about 80% overall percent agreement. That means even with 20 or 10 or 1,000 pathologists, theoretically, our overall percent agreement would be about 80%, which isn't perfect, but it's pretty darn good. And it works well enough to be a companion diagnostic test, where our um, immune cell overall proportion score uh, in lung cancer didn't plateau. It went all the way down to zero when we looked at 13 or 12 observers or more observers. And so we were worried that that's why the immune sore had such a low inner class correlation coefficient. So this could then address the conundrum between the FDA having a 95% overall percent agreement with two observers versus multiple observers. And that's how we designed the study. So we picked cases that were triple negative cases from the Yale archives and then stained them with PDL1 exactly according to the protocol for SP142. And then we had uh, we scanned all those slides in and had 18 different, actually 20 different pathologists read them. Only 19 of those pathologists returned their data in a timely fashion, two weeks. And so there are 19 pathologists in this study. And the way we chose the pathologist was Emily Reisenbickler, who's a rising star pathologist in our uh, Yale Pathology Department. Um, 
chose people that she knew in the breast cancer world. So 15 of the pathologists were breast cancer experts, and the other four came from the CAP Immunohistochemistry Committee. And so that's how we kind of designed the study. Basically, we all read them, and then we and then Gang Han analyzed the data on the basis of the observers needed to evaluate subjective tests, an honest plot. Uh, you may have said that, but those were whole slide images that you yes, every, um, These were all scans as if they were reading, and the training was the same training you would get if you were just working in a private practice or an academic setting where you went online and looked at what was available online, take a little bit of online training, but no formal courses. Now, Ventana has subsequently ordered, um, offered training courses, but at the time this study was done, there was no available training other than the online training, which is what we thought people would use in the real world setting. So uh, I guess uh, to, to focus on the honest, which was one of the findings is uh, you hit a plateau and that number of pathologists was around eight to 10, if I recall. So exactly, at eight to 10 pathologists, we hit a plateau at about 45%, 42%. And then it just plateaued out. It didn't dip below much below 42%, even as we got out to 19 pathologists. And I think that shows the um, importance of the technology. That is, we can find that um, how many pathologists it takes, and in this case, eight to 10, and also that when you have that many pathologists or more, you're gonna have an overall concordance of less than 50%. And it's very interesting that um, what was just announced by Rose in a press release two weeks ago is that the, the sister trial to the Impassion 130 trial, the Impassion 131 trial, where they're using paclitaxel instead of nabpaclitaxel, failed. And I wonder if that trial didn't fail because the pathologists test is not a robust test. The agreement amongst pathologists is only the equivalent of flipping a coin. So I guess uh, the way I, I thought about it, one of the conclusions is the companion diagnostic trial should have baked in eight to 10 pathologists and, and pass that test, get that plateau at least, uh, in order to, to design the teaching or the focus training uh, to be appropriate. Is that what that's the message of the paper is that pathologists want to perform well. We're, we work hard and we trust our eyes, but we also think that we're, as a, as a specialty, we're quite reproducible. When we diagnose a cancer, regardless of who you show it to, if they're well-trained and board certified, they're going to give you that same diagnosis. So we need that same kind of confidence in our ability to read immunohistochemistry. And I think the way we develop that is make sure that the people who are developing the tests adhere to strict standards so that when pathologists are asked to read those tests, we give highly reproducible and accurate results. And in order to do that, this is a way that we can lead the test developers, the biotech companies and the pharma companies of the world to, to be sure that their test is robust prior to presenting it to the FDA. And in fact, I was fortunate to have an audience with the FDA, Rena Phillip and Julie Beaver, regarding this. And I'm hopeful that in the future, the FDA will actually require that, that an honest plot be made prior to FDA approval, as opposed to simply looking at consensus between observers. Very reassuring to know. Uh, regarding other findings, uh, were you surprised uh, by the disagreements? And, and you can summarize to our audience uh, what were the other findings in terms uh, of concordance? That was the main finding. I mean, we also illustrated the individual findings that 
the, the discordance between the most conservative pathologists that had only 40% positive compared to the most liberal pathologists that had 80% of the cases positive. And we also found that SB263, which we did in, in, at the same time, was a more sensitive assay. That is only about 55% of the cases were positive with SP142, but close to 80% or more were positive uh, with SP263. However, interestingly, they plateaued at the same place. That is, even though more patients were positive with SB263, when you do the honest plots, the agreement was still poor. That is, it was below 50% at about 45% overall percent agreement. And I believe that that is about the nature of the test, not the, not the antibody or the assay itself, but the, what we're trying to read, that was immune cell expression, was sufficiently challenging for pathologists to read and sufficiently poorly defined that regardless of which assay we used, we got the same overall percent agreement um, when we had multiple pathologists reading it, which was unfortunately quite a bit below 50%. Do you think whole slide imaging had anything to do? Do you think that was a weakness as opposed to pathologists in real world? So that's a great glass question, slides? George, because in the real world, we read glass slides. But in five years from now, I think we're all going to be reading whole slide images on our computer monitors. And already um, the studies done by both um, Philips and Leica have shown that uh, in their FDA approvals that real world, uh, in the real world, reading slides on your computer is equivalent to reading them reading glass. So I didn't think we needed to reprove that data. I think that data was supported by the FDA approval of both the Philips and Leica machines and they're proving that uh, reading uh, slides as glass, whole slide tissue slides versus reading images on your computer doesn't dramatically affect your outcome. Excellent. Any, any take home messages in terms of uh, next step in terms of how to remedy this discrepancies among pathologists. You've touched already upon some of the issues. Uh, I just, I would encourage pathologists to, as they're developing assays, to try to do exactly this. That is, to make sure it's not just two pathologists that agree, but that it's a number, and you can find the number for a really good assay. In fact, the TPS assay uh, for lung cancer plateaued at four or five pathologists. That is, the better the assay, the more likely you are to have the plateau of the honest plot occur at a fewer number of pathologists. And it's a little tricky to make honest plots, but um, biostatisticians know how to do this. And I'm working with Gang Han to make an app that can do it for you. So that eventually, um, and we're trying to publish this, that there will be an app so that you can just put your data in from five or 10 pathologists and see if you've plateaued yet. And if you haven't plateaued, by 10 pathologists, that's a bad sign. But if you've plateaued at two or three pathologists or four pathologists, you're in good shape. And so this will be useful, I hope, in, for pathologists in the future to be sure that our assays are robust and that our colleagues in the oncology world don't think that we're crazy because we give different answers to the same question. We really could have not picked a, a better study to inaugurate our series with. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. And uh, just as a disclaimer, several of the authors, including uh, David, have declared a potential conflict of interest at the end of the article, if you're interested in reading that. Thanks again, David, and I uh, wish you a great uh, rest of the day. Thank, Thank you, George. 
Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAT. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions. Music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.